Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Today we're starting a new teaching series called Paradoxical, where we're going to be looking at some seemingly strange statements in the Bible that don't really make sense until we begin to understand them. And when we put them into practice, then we find that they are spiritual truths that set us free. Anybody want to be set free today? Anybody believe that God can bring freedom in whatever situation? Amen? So what we're talking about is going to bring this freedom when we put it into practice. But again, I want to warn you, what we're talking about doesn't really make sense at first. Take, take for instance, if I said this, does it make sense to you? If I said that eating a high cholesterol, high calorie, high fat diet will lead to healthy living. Does that make sense? No, we want it. We all desire that, you know, uh, the, 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 the fullness of our diet is five guys, burgers and fries and pastelitos and Krispy Kreme donuts. Like, that would be the life, but all of us understand that that's not true. That doesn't make sense, does it? What about this? Does this make sense for all, for all the younger folks out there? Watching TikTok videos all day long and playing video games nonstop will lead to straight A's and high test scores. Does that make sense? Of course not. We, we, all, we all know that doesn't make sense. All right, here's one for the men, but the women, you answer this one if this makes sense or not. Watching ESPN, failing to take out the trash, and not having clear communication with the one that you love leads to a healthy and happy marriage. Women, will you answer that one for us men? No, of course not. Of course not. We understand that these things don't make sense because they don't. But what about these statements? When you die to yourself, you'll find true life. Does that make sense to our atheist cousins who don't want anything to do with the church? Well, what about the best way to lead others is by serving them? I mean, do you hear that at your Fortune 500 company? You want to rise to the top? Wash everyone's feet. What about this one? If you want freedom in your life, again, how many of us want freedom? How many of us want to experience freedom from the things that have ensnared us? If you want to find freedom, make someone your master. Make someone the Lord over your life. Or what about this one? If you want to learn to fear less in this life, you have to fear more in this life. Doesn't make sense, does it? But these are spiritual paradoxes found in God's promises that will set us free when we receive them and put them into practice. Spiritual paradoxes is what we're talking about. Does everyone know what a paradox is? Let me give us a definition. You can write this down in your notes. Here's what a paradox is. It's a seemingly contradictory statement that may nonetheless be true. A paradox is a seemingly contradictory statement that may nonetheless be true. And a lot of us are familiar with paradoxes. We hear them probably on a weekly basis. Here's a paradox. Jumbo shrimp. Right? It doesn't make sense, but it's true. Or some of you drive a Dodge Ram. 
Doesn't make sense, does it? Dodge, Ram, which one do I do? But it's true. How about this one? If you get this message, call me back, but if you don't, don't worry about it. I got your message. So I guess I'm calling you. I, that doesn't make sense, but it's true. How about this one? <laughs> some, of the, some of the ladies, some of the men as well. Some of the men, um, maybe more so the ladies. I saved a lot of money by buying us this thing. <laughs> it was on sale. I bought it, but I saved us money. Like, does, does that make sense? Is it true? Well, it's a paradox, so I'll leave that to you and your significant others. How about this one? Deep down, you're really shallow. That's a paradox. If you dig down deep, you're, you're, you're very, very shallow. Oh, I've said this before. Man, no one goes to that restaurant because it's always crowded. It's just so crowded, no one goes there. You, you ever said that? You ever heard that? Or how about this one? This one's a thinker, okay? I'll give some of you, some of you imperfect people uh, a few seconds to, to process it. I'm a liar. I'm a liar. It's a paradox. So am I lying right now? Or am I telling the truth? Because if I'm telling the truth, then I'm not a liar. But that's, yeah, okay. This is the one we're going to study today. You ready for this? The paradox we're looking at today is to die to self is to truly live. When we die to ourselves, then we find real living. Mark 8.35, up there on the screens in your apps, here's what it says. It says, for whoever, Jesus is saying this, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel, say gospel. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's the paradox we're talking about today. But I want to know, are there any country fans here today? Make some noise if you're a fan of country music. It's okay. It's a perfect place for imperfect people. You can like country music. <laughs> Just kidding. It's Davey. Like, Brower doesn't get any more country than Davey. I understand that. And so if you're a fan of country music, you must also know who Tim McGraw is. Yes? For those of you who don't know who Tim McGraw is, ask someone who cares. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Tim McGraw, I don't like country music. My wife likes country music. It's always fun on road trips. And the only reason I know about country music is because my wife forces me to listen to it. And so I know there's a song that Tim McGraw wrote some, some over a decade ago. It's called To Live Like You're Dying. And the song, it tells the story of this man who's in his mid-40s that gets this news that he has a terminal illness and doesn't have much longer to live. And so when, when Tim McGraw asked him in the song, how do you feel about that? His response is this. I said, what did you do? He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper. And I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. And can I tell you, Tim McGraw doesn't know how much of a theologian he is because God says the same thing. God wants us to live like we are dying because we are. Psalm 90, 12, it says this. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. And then it says, help us to spend them. Help us to spend our days as we should. To live like we are dying because we are. I read this interesting statistic this past week that the mortality rate in Broward County is 100%. Were you aware of that? 
Every single person in this room, every single person in this county, every single person in this state, in this world, one day, somehow, will die. You're welcome for coming to church this morning. <laughs> Why are you being so bummy? Listen, I'm not here to talk about dying. I want to talk about living. How can we live the life that God has created us to live? Well, it says right here, he says, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. Another translation says, if you keep your life for yourself. If I put my focus and my attention and my priority only on my life and the things in my life, I'm going to lose my life because I'm not living with purpose. I'm simply existing for something that isn't greater and eventually it will lead ultimately to the loss of my own life. When we're living for ourselves and not for something greater, it leads to losing our life. But Jesus says, if we live for the sake of God and his will, if we live for Jesus and the good work that he has done, his gospel, then we'll, we'll do more than simply exist. We'll find real, actual life. If we live for him and the gospel. Say gospel. The gospel simply means the good news of Jesus. We did a whole series on it this past November, but to summarize the gospel, it's the redemptive story of God sending his son to a world he loves to live a perfect life, to die a brutal death, to pay the penalty that we deserve because of our imperfections, because of our rebellion, because of our sin. But Jesus rose again from the dead and exchanged his resurrected life for our dead life so now we can live forever and we can live as friends of God and we can have purpose in our living here on this earth this is the good news this is the gospel of Jesus this is why he came this is why we do what we do in this place and if all of us can have this eternal perspective, this external eternal perspective that it's not about me, it's not about just right now, it's not about what I can do to get my life right, it's what God has done through Jesus that's already made me right and it's about forever that Jesus is the only one who can save. If we can have this external and eternal idea of, of what life is, then we'll find real life. Then will truly be living. Before we continue, I want to ask another question of you. I want to know how long you've lived, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count from three to one, and then I want all of you to shout it out loud. Can we do that? Last week you did a really good job. Can we do that today? Yes? Now, ladies, listen, it's church, okay? So you got to be honest. I'll tell you what, you can subtract anywhere from one to ten years. You decide, but, but that, that's about it. That's all we can give you in church today, okay? Can we do that today? All right, I'm gonna count from three to one. I want everyone to shout out out loud how long you've lived. Ready? Three, two, one. I heard a lot of answers. I heard 32 years, that was a lie. I heard 50 years, that was a lie. I heard 47 years, that was a lie. I heard 17 years, that was a lie. Mentiroso! All of you are lying. You have not lived that long. That may be your age, 
But there's a significant difference between how old you are and how long you've lived. See, many of us, we don't live our full lives. We live for the big moments, but until we get to those big moments, we're simply existing. We're waiting for the big holiday. We're saying things like, I can't wait until summer starts, amen? You're hearing that a whole lot. Maybe you have an overachiever kid who's like, I can't wait till school starts up again. Probably not, but you know, just for the, the benefit of the doubt, I'm, I'm, maybe, maybe there's one person in this, this place today. You said things like, I can't wait until next year because next year, whatever is going to happen. Or maybe some of the parents in here, I can't wait till the kids are finally out of the house. Oh, I'm counting down the days. Wouldn't that be good? Amen. But the problem is, while we're waiting for that moment to happen, we're not living with purpose. We're just counting down the days until that day gets here. And the reason we're not living with purpose in between those big moments is because we're not living like we're dying. In fact, many of us live like we'll never die. And because we live like we'll never die, nothing will hurt me, I'm bulletproof, we do dumb things, amen? Turn to the person next to you, look in the eyes with love and say, don't do dumb things. Come on, guys, let's not do dumb things. You don't have to do every challenge on social media. They're dumb, amen? You don't have to say everything that comes to your brain out of your mouth that will get you in trouble. So many people live like they're never gonna die, but, but far worse, far more people live like they're already dead. No hopes, no dreams, no direction, no generosity. They live their life as though they are dead and they don't even know it. But when you look at so many people's lives, it's not producing life. It's not blessing where they're at. It's, it's not raising the quality of, of, of the kingdom of God around themselves. Too many people live as though they are already dead. But Jesus can bring life. In fact, if Jesus can help us with anything in this life, he can help us with how to actually live life. John 10, 10. Jesus says, the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan, our enemy, he exists and he bothers us to steal our happiness, to kill our hope, to destroy our future. But Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it what? Come on, 1030, and what? That word abundantly, it means overflowing. Hear this. Jesus wants you to have overflowing life in every area of your living. Are you aware of that? He wants you to have overflowing, abundant, full life in every relationship, in every endeavor, in everything that you do. He has come so that we can have overflowing, abundant life. If he's done that, then why don't we have it? Why do so many people simply exist or live as though they are dead and not overflowing with life? Why is that? Because we settle. God wants to give us abundant life and we settle for something less. God wants to give us incredible value, but we settle for money instead. God wants to give us wisdom that comes from him, but we settle for gossip. Just let me know what other people, let me know what's happening in Amber Heard's world. God wants us to have real love 
And too many of us, we settle for plain sex. God wants us to have significance, but we settle just for success. Look what I've accomplished. Look at all my trophies, but it means nothing to anybody. God wants to give us purpose in this life, but we settle for performance. Look at all the things I'm showing you that I've done well. We settle for pretending. Let's make believe that, that I really am happy. God wants to give us an overflowing, abundant life through his son Jesus, but we settle for less. So he wants to teach us how to experience more. I want you to turn the Bible to John chapter 11. The paradox is to truly live, we must die to ourselves. In John chapter 11, as you're turning there, um, you're familiar with this, with this story. Uh, we've read this several times over the past seven weeks. The more that, that I open up God's word, God brings me back to this. There's so much life. We're, we're talking real quickly about the story of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. We've talked about it several times over the past several weeks. You could be experts about this at this point, but God's word is living. It's active and powerful. And so I, I, want, I want to show us something in this. Again, to familiarize you with the story, Lazarus is loved by Jesus, but he's sick. And so his sisters, Mary and Martha, they send a word to Jesus. John eleven three. 3, the sisters sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's the entirety of the message. They're saying, the one that you love, your friend is sick. But, but all of us, we, we, we know how to read between the lines, right? What she's actually saying is, and we need your help. We need you to come and do what only you can do to bring healing. But Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, he takes his time. And so by the time he gets there, Lazarus has already been dead for several days. His illness was significant. And so Martha runs out to him. Verse 22, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you only would have come quickly, he would still be alive today. And what Jesus wants to do is to help her to understand that he can be resurrected. And when he says that to Martha, her mind goes immediately to the resurrection in the final day. Now, again, we've been talking about this for four weeks, about mastering our mind and renewing our mind so we can have a transformed life. I'm not saying that, that her mind was worldly, but her mind was conformed to the patterns of thinking of this world that when you have a funeral, it's final. When they're dead and in the ground, it's done. Nothing can be done about it. And Jesus, like he wants to do with us, he wants to renew her mind to transform her life. He says, no, Martha, I'm not talking about the resurrection that is to come. I'm talking about today. Lazarus can be made new today, but she missed it. And then her sister Mary comes running and says the same thing. If you'd only been here, Lazarus would not have died. In fact, if you keep reading the story, it details that every single person that was significant to this family and in this community did not want Lazarus to die. They were trying to keep Lazarus from dying. But what Jesus is trying to do is help them and help us to understand that even though something is dead, it can be resurrected. Amen? Even though all hope is dead, it can come to new life. Even while someone is dying, they can experience resurrection. And so we get this final scene in the story in John eleven thirty eight. 38. Here's what happens. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave and a stone lay against him. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? 
Did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Some of us, we need to hear the story over and over again because we have heard, but we have not believed. So they took the stone away and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I think that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. Then a miracle happens. Something supernatural occurs in this moment. This is the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. What has happened here is the resurrection of a dead man to new life. He was literally dead and decomposing. And now his body is reanimated with new life. And so in this moment, Lazarus knew a few things. First of all, Lazarus knew the power of the one who performed the miracle. Amen? It's like, I was literally dead. It was dark. I was asleep. And now all of a sudden, I'm back to life. He understood the power of the one who who resurrected him. And many of us in this room were like that. We understand the power of what he's done. Listen, if Jesus has saved you from something, can you give him a shout of praise right now? See? He saved my marriage. He provided for all my needs. He broke my addiction. He understood the power. But there's something that he understood that many of us overlook. There's something that we have to learn from Lazarus if we are going to live like we are dying and find true life. What Lazarus understood that we need to put into practice today is this. Yes, he understood the power of the one who resurrected him, but he also knew that someday, somehow, he's gonna go back into that tomb. Someday, somehow, even though he's been resurrected to new life, he is going to die and cease existing on this planet called Earth. If we knew that, if we lived like we were dying, how would we live our lives? How would that change the way that we live our lives? I want to look at just two quick things over the next several minutes of how we can live like we are dying. And these are essential. These are foundational, okay? And if we can put them into practice, we will find freedom in our life and live like never before. So how can we live like we're dying? Turn to your person next to you and ask them, hey, how can I live like I'm dying? At home, do the same thing. How can I live like I'm dying? First thing is this. I can refine, say refine. I can refine my priorities. Now, I don't want to talk about priorities. All of us, we understand priorities, right? There's something that is more important than other things in our life. And that, that is important. We prioritize that. I'm not talking about our priorities. I'm talking about refining our priorities. I'm talking about fine-tuning the priorities so that we can find purpose for living. It's in this refining process where we look at our lives that we decide and determine what is worth living for, what am I living for, and how do I live like I'm dying? See, Lazarus, after he got out of the tomb, after his burial clothes had been ripped off, the next thing we're told about Lazarus is important. 
after Lazarus came back from the dead. What do we see him doing? The Bible says he's eating. Anyone love eating? Amen. Man, I get so hungry all the time. I'm eating a meal. I'm like, what's the next meal? But eating food isn't the priority. It's what eating food represents. It's how he ate food. He was sitting with his sisters and his Savior. It says here in John 12, 1, six days before the Passover ceremonies began, Jesus arrived at Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. He's, he's, he's emphasizing this dude was dead before, but what is he doing now? Verse 2, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, of course she did, and Lazarus sat at the table with him. See, Lazarus knows what we miss out on when we're dead. And he must have lived every single day after he resurrected with this acute and concrete knowledge of one day I'm going to be back in that tomb. And so what does he prioritize? The people. The people he loves. His God and his friends. It's not the eating, it's what the eating represents. Every Thursday, one of the things we do as a staff here, we call it familia lunch. Every Thursday, at the end of the week, we, we pause for an hour and we break bread together. And it's hard because that's, a, that's our Friday. That's our Friday here at the church. And so a lot of people have last minute things to do to make sure everything's well for the weekend. But, but we pause and we take time to break bread together. It's not about the food. Sometimes the food is good. Sometimes we bring our own food. But it's not about the food. It's about the fellowship. It's about the community. We come together and we ask silly questions. Two weeks ago, it was, you know, if God called you to start a church and he wanted you to take two fictional characters with you, who would it be? There's no eternal consequence of the answers of these foolish questions, but why do we ask them? Because we want to get to know one another. Because relationships are what is primary in ministry. It's not about simply eating the food, although I love eating the food, amen. It's about coming together with people that you love. The problem, though, is too many of us, we put it off, don't we? We say, I got work to do. I got a call to make. I got something to do at the children's school. So I'll take care of it tomorrow. I'll push it off to next week. And what Lazarus knew was that tomorrow was not promised. And if tomorrow isn't promised, how am I going to prioritize my, my today? By, by being with people that I love, to refine and to fine tune those, those priorities in your life because it, it's, it's the small details that make the biggest difference. It's not, I'll see them for Thanksgiving. It's how can I communicate with them and grow a relationship until then? It's not the big award ceremony, all the family will come together. It's not when they die and we're at the funeral and we all say the nice things. It's the small details that, that lead up to that that create real relationships. Amen. We have to refine our priorities. It's a small detail. I read this story. I don't think necessarily it's true, but I found it interesting. The story tells of these NASA engineers and scientists who they're trying to, to, to see the strength of the, the windshields for uh, airline, um, commercial airliners and, and, and rocket ships. And so they developed this, this gun where they shoot 
dead chickens at terminal velocity at the windshields of these rocket ships to see what kind of damage would be done and then change the infrastructure of the, 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 the rocket ships to make sure that they can withstand the real world application of as they're going up, if a bird hits it, is that the end of the, the space journey or will it be able to just bounce off? And so when, when British engineers heard about this, British engineers who are, who are uh, creating these, these super fast uh, trains to go from parts of Europe to other parts, they reached out to NASA and they said, can, can we borrow this weapon? Can we borrow and, and, and put into development what you've already practiced so that we can determine whether or not our windshields are strong enough for our application? And so um, they shot a, a dead chicken at the windshield and it broke the windshield and it blew through the back of the, the driver's headrest, and then it found itself lodged in the control panel behind them. And so they reported their findings to NASA and said, what are we doing wrong? Like, what, what's wrong with the chemistry of our glass? And NASA responded with a single sentence, thaw the chicken. Like, why are you shooting frozen chickens at glass? Of course it's going to break. Because it's the little details. It's the little details that matter. And this is how Jesus taught us to prioritize and to refine our priorities. He says this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Someone comes up to him and says, what is the most important thing that we need to follow in God's law? And Jesus says, if, if I could summarize everything down to, to just the, the core of living, it would be this, that you would love your God and that you would love people. Everything else falls on these two commandments. Nothing else in this world matters than loving God and loving people. And this is what Lazarus was doing. He prioritized to be around his Savior and to be around those that he loved. What's God teaching you? What are you going to do about it? You know, this one is actually pretty simple, maybe not easy, of how we can determine what we prioritize. It's as simple as if you're taking notes, I want you to write down three questions. The first question is this. We, 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 take a, we take a survey of our life and our time, and we ask ourselves a question, how much time am I spending with God? How much time am I spending with people that matter to God? And the third question is, how much time am I spending on things that aren't on God's priority list? Then when we know, we can start making the refinements so that we can live like we're dying and find real living. 10.30, you guys aren't happy, are you? <laughs> This, is, this isn't easy, is it? But this is our year of release, amen? Some of us, we're holding on to things that are holding us back, and God is saying, let go of it. Turn to a few people, tell them, let go of it. Let go of it at home, say, let go of it. We have to let go of these things so we can live like we're dying. Second thing is this, ready? You ready? 
10.30, are you ready? Are you talking about death? You're telling me to let go of things? I'm not coming to church this week. Don't, don't miss next week. It's gonna be a fun summer here at the local church. Second thing is this. I can reflect God's power. How can I live like I'm dying? I can reflect God's power. Now, I'm not joking. I've never been dead, okay? And so I can only assume that, that after you've died and then been resurrected, that because you know Jesus, you, you aren't afraid of death anymore. I can only assume that. That what Jesus says, oh, oh death, where is your, your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? I can only assume if you've died and resurrected, you're not afraid of death anymore. Because there's this awareness that death isn't the end. Death is the beginning of eternal life. And I get to go there and I get to be there with him forever. And there's this understanding that you have the key that holds someone's future and eternity. And so now you can live your life like you're dying by pointing other people to him by reflecting that power in your life. Here's the last thing we ever read about Lazarus in the Bible, John 12, 9. It says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom God had raised from the dead. Verse 10. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him... Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Because of Lazarus' story, because he was resurrected to new life, he understands that he is a walking display of the power of God. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care what people think about him. He doesn't care what, what people want to do to him because he has experienced and he is a display of God's power in his life. And because of that, a lot of people were finding freedom. They're saying, Lazarus, I heard you died. Yeah, but I'm alive. How? Did you take ginkgo biloba? Was it essential oils? What did you do? <laughs> Jesus. And on account of him being a walking display of Jesus' power, now the religious leaders wanted to put him to death. Again, I don't know. I can only assume but I wonder what Lazarus' response was to finding out that the chief priests wanted him dead. I, I bet it was something as simple as, so what? So what? Who cares? <laughs> Apparently he's a Jewish guy from Brooklyn. I don't know. I don't know why that thought came into my head. <laughs> Who cares? No big deal. They want to kill me? Been there. Done that. I don't care. Nothing is going to stop me from telling people who will give them eternal life. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus knew that. Lazarus knew the power that he held. Lazarus knew that one day he would die again, but he also knew that Jesus can raise him and anyone up to eternal life. He was a living display and reflection of the power of God. Can I tell you, so are you. You don't need to physically die to be a display of his power. There have been things in your life that have been dead that Jesus resurrected. Amen? Amen. Several weeks ago, some of you, you, you were baptized. You're saying, I once was dead in sin, but now I'm alive in Jesus. Some of you, he restored your relationship. He brought together your broken marriage. He healed your hurting heart. He set you free from, from, from the addiction that kept you captive. 
You are a walking display of the power of God. What are you going to do with it? You're going to stay in your casket of convenience? You're going to keep it to yourself when you know that Jesus can do the same for somebody else. When you live for that, that, that's living. When you live for that, that's when you find real life. That's when you find purpose. That's when nothing else seems to matter and you say, all I need is you because when all I have is you, I have everything I need for significance, for power, for living, for purpose. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, I'm no longer alive. I'm dead to my old self, but now I'm, I'm alive in him. And so this life I now live, I live for him. I'm not existing anymore. I'm actually living my life because I'm living for him. Paul wasn't ashamed. And Lazarus wasn't ashamed. Lazarus didn't care. He was not ashamed of the gospel because he knows the power of salvation for anyone who believes he was not afraid. And so he lived boldly. And when you live boldly for the cause and the sake of the kingdom of God, that is true life. What are we going to do with that? Um, let me make it clear. Don't go around living your life as one of those people who's against everything and who's beating people down with the word of God. We talked about that last week. Don't go around living your life as, as, as someone that everyone is going to hate. Because here's the reality. People are going to hate you regardless, right? Not everyone in this world is going to like you. I may that, uh, that they may feel hard for you to receive right now, but the truth is there's at least one person who doesn't like you simply for who you are. And maybe you're not even telling people about the life you found in Jesus, and there's still people who dislike you. So don't be afraid. Don't live your life as one of those people like, you're gonna burn, you're gonna burn. Like, but, but, but don't be afraid that people aren't gonna like you because I'll tell you what else can happen. Some of those people who hear about what Jesus has done, about how he set you free, about how he gave you life, they're gonna listen and their lives are gonna be forever transformed and they're gonna find freedom in Jesus. Mark 8.35 again says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, the good news of Jesus will save it. This life is temporary. I hope you understand that. And if you live your life for yourself and your selfish desires, it will lead to dissatisfaction. It will lead to discontentment. It will lead to disappointment. And eventually, like all of us, you'll lose your life without purpose. But if you live for what is greater than you, if you live for Jesus and his good news, if you can learn to refine your priorities and pay attention to what matters most and reflect his power so that people can experience freedom. That's living. That's the power of this paradox. So what's God teaching you? What are you gonna do about it? Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.